If you have your copy of Scripture, please, or you may want to find the, the Bible in the back of the pew in front of you. We're going to read from John chapter 17. We're going, to, we're going to begin at verse 15, and I would encourage you to keep your Bibles open once you have, even after we've read in just a few minutes, because I'm going to walk back through that text briefly, John 17, uh, verses 15 through 18. We'll get to that in just a moment, but let me ask you a, <clears throat> let me ask you a question. How would you feel... Uh, how would you feel if a, a gentleman's club, and I'm trying to be discreet, you know, I'm not talking about a country club, right? You know, the, a gentleman's club uh, were to go in where Stan Leo's is, right over here, just across uh, the, the railroad track from us. So what if, what if Stan Leo's were to sell to a gentleman's club and we'd be sitting right next to a, well, a, a seedy, if you will, place? Now, please don't call City Hall or Stan Leo's. It's not, I'm not, this is not happening, but, but what if it, what if it were? A man named Will Campbell, the late Will Campbell, always had an interesting take on things, and, and he wrote about a church that sued what he called a topless bar because they, they went in on the same block as their church building, so that the church sued them, said it wasn't appropriate to have a place like that on the block with their, with their church building. Will Campbell said, I was confused by that. And here's what he wrote. I was taught as a child that the church exists to convert sinners and cast out evil. So it seems to me if a place is sinful, we would want it just as close to the front door as possible. That way we could get to know the sinners, perhaps become friends with them, maybe even love them, and have a better chance of converting them. It's worth thinking about, he said. It is worth uh, thinking about. It's an interesting dilemma, at least for me. On the one hand, this is sacred space for us. 600 Governors Drive is, is holy land for us. We've had so many spiritual experiences here and funerals and weddings and, and so much important has happened here. This is sacred space. And it would, seem, it would seem almost like desecrating or dishonoring sacred space to have someone or a gentleman's club so close by. And we wouldn't want the kids to drive by, you know, look at a seedy joint on their way to church and home. But on the other hand, on the other hand, wouldn't we want to offer hope to ladies who think that's their only option in life, that their only, their only way they can make a living is to use their bodies? Isn't, wouldn't we want to offer hope? Wouldn't we want to model healthy family for Men and women who maybe haven't seen good models of healthy families. It's quite the interesting dilemma for me. It reminds me of this tension between being in the world, but not of the world. And that's what Jesus talked about in John 17. Let's read that beginning at verse 15. And again, keep your, uh, keep your Bibles open. It was the night, but of course, the night before he died, within a couple of hours, 
Judas would betray him and Jesus would be arrested by soldiers working on behalf of the religious leaders and Jesus turned his face toward heaven and he prayed. Verse 15, my prayer is not, Father, that you take them out of the world. He's praying for us, by the way. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They, you and I, are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them, make them holy by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So this is the prayer that is often summarized with that phrase, in the world, but not of the world. And, and the phrase, the world, as Jesus used it, and as I'm going to use it this morning, is, is secular society beyond the circle of, Christian, of followers of Jesus and beyond the, the direct influence of Jesus himself. So let me say that again. The world, as Jesus uses it, as the Bible uses it, as we're going to use it this morning, is secular society beyond the circle of Jesus' followers and beyond the circle of Jesus' direct influence. And it's not godless. We're going to see that. It is not godless, but it's simply beyond our, our circle, secular society. And, it, and so Jesus said, in the world, not of the world. It is, it is true that some followers of Jesus are too much of the world, meaning their values are shaped more by secular society than by Jesus. Uh, that, it, to use a phrase from 2 Timothy 2, uh, they are entangled in worldly affairs. But it is also true that some of us are not enough in the world. We're too isolated, too separated. It is as if we don't like the world, or maybe, maybe we're afraid of the world. So Jesus prays that we'll be in the world, but not of the world. I want to walk through that text. So if you have your Bible open, follow with me the things we learn. Jesus wants us in the world, verse 15. Don't take them out of the world. Now we're going to come back to that, so we'll, we'll move quickly. That's what we're going to focus on. Don't take, Jesus wants us in the world. Also in verse 15. Protect them from the evil one. Jesus understood the risks. He knows that the evil one would much prefer that we practice our faith right here within the walls of 600 Governors Drive. If we would just contain our Christian faith within these walls, then the evil one would be fine. But he knows when we get beyond our walls into the world, into secular society, that he's in trouble. And so he's He's going to try to ensnare us. And so Jesus prays for our protection so that we will not be ensnared, that we don't get involved in inappropriate relationships, that we are protected from the evil one when we are in the world. Verse 17, sanctify them, make them holy. Jesus understood our need to remember that we are holy, just like Miss Shelley talked about a while ago. We are different, not smug, not self-righteous, not sanctimonious, but we are different. We are supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. Verse 18, Jesus says, as you have sent me into the world, Father, I am sending them. Listen, you and I do not take Jesus to the world. He's already there. 
We think sometimes when we go on mission trips or we go downtown and do something that we're taking Jesus. We're not. He is already there. Jesus said, as I am in the world, send them here to join me. Now, I said we're going to focus this morning on the fact that Jesus wants us in the world. So that's where we're going to spend the next hour and a half or so. Jesus wants us in the world. So what does that mean in 2022? That we are in, as followers of Jesus, that we are in the world. Number one, it means we do not live in a Christian bubble. We must not live in a Christian bubble. Jesus didn't. Jesus was involved in the world. In fact, do you remember his detractors called him a drunkard and a glutton? They said he's always eating with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus intentionally developed relationships in the world. Jesus did not live in, in a bubble. And, and we must not. We but some of us do. It feels like some of us are, are, are living in a Christian quarantine. We, we go to Christian schools and we listen to Christian music and we hang out with Christian friends. We do business with Christian business people. And we live in an echo chamber, meaning we only listen to opinions that, that affirm our own. Listen, if your heart has shrunk to the place that you, you love only Christians, you need a bigger heart. If your circle has shrunk to the, to the point that it only includes Christians, you need a bigger circle. If your conversations have shrunk to the point that, that they include only Christians, you need bigger conversations. We are to be in the world, not living in a Christian bubble. That's the first one. Second, we must be willing to have hard conversations. If we're going to be engaged in the world, we must be willing to have hard conversations. And so, beginning Wednesday night, we're going to tackle the transgender conversation. Six to seven, we're going to we're going to be in the Life Center. You can, take, uh, you can sign up for supper on Mosaic through the website if you want to, but you don't have to. That starts at 5. 6 to 7. At 6.30, we're going to take a stand-up break so that the, the choir can come to rehearsal because Billy works them so hard. So we'll take a break about uh, 6.30 and then continue to 7. Now, in preparation for that, uh, I, I've written this little booklet. I'm not an expert. It's an introduction. But they are at, at the, all the places we gather around the building. And then you can go to the website. You go to uh, our beliefs and then deeper beliefs. And then uh, you'll see under sexuality, you'll see transgender and our pastor's booklet. It's not, it's not the last thing I hope you'll read about it, but it will prepare us for a conversation. <clears throat> Why in the world? Uh, why in the world? Would I take on something as volatile, uh, as, as complex, as potentially divisive as the transgender conversation? Because a church must be part of the culture's big conversations. And this is a big conversation. 
In 2014, a Time Magazine cover story said that the U.S. has reached a transgender tipping point. That was eight years ago. 2015, CNN said that we were at a transgender moment. The, the notion of someone born as one sex and, and then living as another sex had become widely uh, recognized and accepted. In 2019, Merriam-Webster's word of the year was they, which is a pronoun often preferred by people who are transgender instead of he or she, they. The number of children who are coming out as transgender is surging. This very weekend, Leah Thomas, the swimmer from the University of Pennsylvania, is born male, swimming for the women's swim team, University of Pennsylvania, uh, one on Friday at the national championships this weekend on Friday won uh, the 500-yard the freestyle race and has, has sparked deep emotion from both sides of the, of the debate or the argument. This is, a, this is a big deal. The trend is unmistakable and undeniable. And if we're going to be in the world then we have to be willing to engage in hard and relevant conversations. As for me, as for me, this is about speaking truth as I understand it and loving people where they are. It is about speaking truth as I understand it and loving people where they are. There are those who speak truth, even truth as I would understand it, but speak so harshly and legalistically that the only people listening are, are their supporters. A month ago, a prominent Baptist pastor in, an, in his nationally broadcast sermon uh, spoke derisively, mockingly, of uh, Admiral Rachel Levine. Admiral, Admiral Levine was born male, is living as a female, but is the Assistant Secretary of Health and Human Services in D.C., the federal agency. He didn't say he disagreed with her lifestyle. He made fun of her prancing around in a skirt up in D.C., he said, and got a big round of applause from his congregation. Now, I understand speaking up and speaking plainly. But Jesus didn't mock people. He didn't deride people. And I wonder if there's someone in that city who's genuinely confused about his or her identity, whether they will go to that pastor or that church for answers. My hunch is no. To speak mockingly and divisively is wrong. On the other hand, there are those who are kind and loving, and yet they, they don't recognize at least what I believe to be God's guidelines and his values when it comes to sexuality. And, and so on the one hand, it's wrong to dismiss people and bully people. On the other hand, it's wrong, I believe, to say anything goes. The, the intersection, the interchange... The, the mixture of grace and truth is hard. But it is into that interchange, that mixture, that intersection, 
of grace and truth that I feel called, and I hope you do too. And that's how we will approach for these four weeks uh, the transgender conversation. Because to be in the world, a church cannot avoid the big conversation. So number one, we can't live in a bubble. We can't just build this Christian cocoon that we live in. Two, we have to engage in hard conversations. And number three, we, we have to bless the world. Jeremiah 29, 7, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. The people of Israel were, were not in Babylon forever. That wasn't their permanent residence, but he said, while you're there, bless it. This is not our permanent residence either, but while we're here, we're supposed to bless the place where we live. And that's why our ministers, every, every minister on staff is involved in something beyond the, the church circle. Not our church, but any church. So we've got members on the board of PTA and YMCA. We've got somebody working with hearing impaired. We at Leadership Huntsville and downtown Huntsville and all across the, the city involved beyond uh, the church circle. We've tried to bless nurses in these last couple of years, nurses who've put their very health on the line for us. We've tried to bless them a number of times. We, we partner with, with nonprofits around the city who can do things we cannot do. We've given a lot of money to good nonprofits. We vet them, and then we, uh, we partner with them. We, we clean up. I've seen young adults in their FBC t-shirts down there cleaning up after a battle of the food trucks. We're, we're helping to support. We're partnering with agencies across the city to support an Afghani refugee family. The man of the family was a translator for our U.S. soldiers. It makes me feel good as an American citizen and as a member of FBC that we're helping to support uh, that, that family. We're trying to bless our city. We are church at the heart of the city with a heart for the region, trying to bless the place where we are from uh, from. Blossomwood to Butler Terrace, from the ledges to Lincoln Village, from uh, Fayetteville to Albertville to Gunnersville, from just around all over the place. We're trying to trying to bless our trying to bless our city and our region. That's part of what it means to be in the world. A man named William wrote about playing golf one day. He and his three buddies were playing golf. There were two guys behind them, two older gentlemen playing golf behind them. And these two older gentlemen would catch up with them, and then they'd fall back, and they wouldn't see them for a while, and then they'd catch up with them again, and then they'd fall back, and William and his friends wouldn't see them for a while, and then they would catch up. And so one time when they, ca they, they caught up, William approached one of the men, and he said, Sir, if I may ask... We're all confused. I mean, you, you catch up with us, and then you disappear, then you catch up with us. And the older gentleman answered, well, you see, my buddy Joel here is 91, and I'm 89, and we have so many aches and pains. We only play the easy holes. <laughs> Isn't that great? You pull up to a hard hole, I don't want to play this one. Just get in your golf cart, drive around, go to the, go to the next hole. 
I bet I'm giving some ideas to some of you guys that uh, play. Wouldn't it be great to live life playing only the easy holes? As a church, isn't, isn't it tempting to play the easy holes, to sing the songs we like and read only, only the parts of the Bible that affirm us and make us feel good and have church suppers? Wouldn't it be great if we could just sing the old favorites and read the parts of the Bible that affirm us and have church suppers? Now, I'm, I'm for all three. I love all three. But those are the easy holes. We can't just play the easy holes. Could we wind the clock back two years? It was a tough time for our nation. We were deeply divided politically. We were in the throes of the pandemic. People were lonely. Couldn't get out feeling isolated. And then, the murder of Ahmaud Arbery and the murder of George, George Floyd. And I began to speak about race, about our divisions, what, what I believe to be some inequalities. That was a hard hole. I would have had a lot more fun just talking about positive things and things that uplift us. But I can't just play the easy holes. And neither can you. And by the way, when golfers play the hard holes, their score is not as good as when they play the easy holes, right? Play the hard holes, you might hit one in the woods or in the water. And when churches and pastors play the hard holes, we don't always get things completely right. But we can't just play the easy holes. We're not supposed to get entangled in the world. We're supposed to be in the world, in the arena. I love that speech that President Theodore Roosevelt gave in Paris in 1910 when he said, it is not the critic who counts. Not the one who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the one who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred with, with dust and sweat and blood, and who, if at worst, he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. So let's be in the arena to have the hard conversations, to serve in the hard places,
To love when love is not returned. To be willing to get it wrong and to suffer the derision of the critics. I believe that's what Jesus prayed for the night before he died. 